The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So today for the talk, I thought I'd, I'd talk about uh, I'd talk about something that I've been asked about a few times, and I've sort of been asked about it sort of in this forum. And I and I think every time that I've been asked it, I've sort of butchered the answer to some extent, and I haven't really I don't really feel like I've given the question enough uh, justice every time I've been asked it. And because it's a it, it's a question that's it, it's hard to sort of wrap your head around, and it's hard to answer really well because there's you know there's not a there's not a great answer to this question sometimes so i thought you know for the for the space of the talk where i can expand a little bit I, i'd try to sort of get together a few of my thoughts on it and hopefully make this a uh, little bit clearer uh, for you all and what that question is is that you know when we when we when we're taught about things in Buddhism, we're taught one of the main things that we're taught is that if we attach to things, then we suffer. And so we're taught that we are, that we shouldn't attach to things, and if we can let go of our attachments, then we won't suffer anymore. And so the question comes about in that is well, well, what do we what do we mean by uh, what do we mean by not attaching to something and in essence, how do we live in the world with those that we actually love and we care for, but also simultaneously not attached to them? How do we square these two things together? So I thought I'd, I'd try to like answer this question a little bit, you know, hopefully, hopefully a little bit better today, um, and try to try to go through it with some kind of care and clarity. Um, because, you know, I don't want to sort of just give that kind of hand wavy, you know, cop out sort of like, and I'll just let everything go and everything will be fine. It's like, it's something that we really need to sort of, you know, understand clearly. So what I thought I'd, I'd go over this morning is, you know, trying to actually get clear on what we actually mean first and foremost by attachments. What does it actually mean to attach to something? Uh, what do we mean in the, you know, in the more common sense? What do we mean in the Buddhist sense? And then what does non-attachment mean? What, what do we actually mean when we say not to attach to something? And what does that mean actually in the Buddhist concept when we're talking about it in that, in that sense? And how do we actually do that? How do we not attach to, to things in the world? And how do we not attach to the people around us? And then, yeah, and also... Another thing I want to talk about as well is how sometimes we can uh, misunderstand this teaching and take it wrong, and this can actually can be not so you know, not so beneficial in some ways. So, some of the mis the misunderstandings around this, and also, and then finally, I want to get it to the actual point of the actual question of the actual talk. In that, so how do we actually live in the world with those that we love and those that we care for? but simultaneously as well develop this non-attachment to those people around us. So again, I, I, I do want to try to treat this uh, you know, pretty carefully because it's, it's a source of confusion for many people and it's a source of confusion not just for people when they start practicing Buddhism and sometimes they can get confused and it can sort of turn them off uh, these practices a little bit. But it can also be a source of confusion for people that have practiced a long time as well. 
and there can be sort of detrimental effects if you just take this kind of teaching of just let everything go if you take that on too too stringently in some ways so again i want to try and treat this as carefully as possible so to start with what do we mean by attachment what are we actually talking about there when we say attachment we have to be careful about the context that we're actually saying attachment in the context really matters here because it's not always the fact that all attachments are bad some attachments are actually healthy and good so we have to get clear between the when we're talking about attachment in terms of of our you know you could say like our modern and common understanding of attachment and really like the you know the english interpretation of of the word attachment and when we're talking about attachment in terms of buddhism and what we actually mean by it in terms of buddhist conceptualization so if we look at attachment in terms of this modern more common kind of understanding and if we specifically for this if we think of attachment in terms of our relationships with people if we look at our more modern understanding we can we look at things like you know like like social science and things like that and and psychology and developmental psychology and uh all these different aspects of of our knowledge around attachment and which most of these disciplines say you need some kind of attachment to other people to have healthy development you need this is something good that you need to actually do if you develop attachments in the right way then your life will be you know there'll be there'll be you know many positive outs uh, uh outcomes in your life in that and you know, to look at attachment in this way like in all honesty you know that's a that's a good thing i agree that you need these kinds of attachments these attachments in this way uh what keeps us functioning well as a species you need these things you know uh, a, a small child does need a form of attachment to its parents or it wouldn't survive you know you think of a a 3 month old baby if it couldn't attach to things it you know it it would you know wouldn't last very long you know, mothers wouldn't be able to um uh you know the a mother's attachment to its child you actually need that to keep the the baby alive it's our attachment to people around us like uh that keeps us functioning well as a society um so in these kinds of way these when we look at an interpersonal meaning of attachment again in the modern more common sense these are actually good wholesome things but if we if we extend on that a little bit as well what are some of the other kind of attachments that we might have um Th- again thinking from a modern sense when we think about our moral standards our you know we need to attach to a certain kind of moral standards to to actually live in the world as well our moral standards that we have are a form of attachment what we consider to be right and wrong and good and bad this in a way it's a form it's a form of attachment and this is a you know this is this is a good thing to have likewise with your even with your dharma practice and your whole conceptualization about you know being a buddhist and being a buddhist practitioner and being a meditator in some way this is a a particular form of attachment again in the right context you know you couldn't you couldn't 
you couldn't practice, you couldn't want to progress in the Dhamma, you couldn't want to, you know, strive towards enlightenment without some form of attachment to some kind of ideal. And really, in essence as well, if you, if you take yourself as a Buddhist and if you adhere to some kind of lineage and tradition, say, for example, like Theravada, your whole adherence to that is a form of attachment in some way. So, and everything that you consider right and wrong through that kind of worldview, in, in a way, is an attachment. So, it's not always the case that all attachments just blanket across the board are bad and that we should get rid of. Some are actually quite helpful to us. So, if we, if we, if we take that into account and say, well, actually, well, some attachments are okay. So, well, why? You know, as a Buddhist, why are you trying to overcome your attachments? Why are you trying to let these go? So if we think about it in this more modern context and, if we, and, and the common understanding context of it, when we think about attachment in terms of our sort of uh, uh, or our relationships to people, this is, more, this is more about sort of being connected to people, being interrelated, being harmonious, being uh, unified, being codependent on, on each other. That's what we mean by attachment in the modern, in the more modern sense. And then when we look at things like our our, our moral standards, our 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 beliefs, our ideologies, our worldviews, this is more like a kind of adherence to these things. But this is very different to what we mean when we say attachment in terms of the Buddhist context. Attachment in the Buddhist context. What we mean by this is that we innately want something to be a particular way that it that it isn't, and that we, in some way, can't accept some kind of state of the world of what it is. We want something to be a particular kind of way, and when it isn't that way, we continue to grasp to it and attach to it and want it to be a particular kind of way. So... Attachment in the Buddhist sense, it's not about the objects, about the things that's out in the world. What it more is, it is our relationship to those objects. And it's, it's about our either acceptance of those objects for what they are or our unacceptance of those objects for what they are. So the key concept here in Buddhism and a, and a, and a and uh, the you know the, the the term we're talking about when we think about attachment in terms of the Buddha sense is where it's this term that the Buddha called upadana. Now, most of you may have heard of upadana already, and upadana basically that means attachment, clinging, grasping, um, and this is what upadana is what we mean when we say we're attaching to something. And you know most of us you know most of us already know as well. Uh, Upadana is very, very interrelated to this concept of what we call tanha. Or, and tanha is, and again, most of you will know, it's tanha actually is the kind of the, the craving, the, the wanting, the desire for, th desire for things. And these two concepts are very, very closely interrelated, tanha and upadana. These things are so uh, closely interrelated. And this... When we speak about our Buddhist practice and trying to develop more in our Buddhist practice, what we're, what, we're, what we're trying to do is, you could say, we're trying to break these, the links between Dunha and Upadana or our, 
our desires and our attachments. We're trying to break that in some way. These two concepts are very important in the in the in the context of of uh, what we call dependent origination. <clears throat> um, uh, I won't go into dependent origination at the moment. It's sort of not so useful at the moment. But just as a quick kind of overview of it is that dependent origination. What we're what what's what's happening when we're coming into contact with anything? We come into contact. We see something in the world. We have some kind of feeling, some kind of state that comes up in the mind. And once we have some kind of feeling from from the experience, we have tanha, we have craving for it, we want it to be a particular, you know, we want this thing, we like it, or we want to get rid of it. And then because of that, our, our uh, upadana, our attachment comes along in there. And then, you know, the more that we attach to it and wanting it to be a particular way, wanting it to, you know, maintain or wanting to get rid of it, then this is the thing that actually causes us some kind of suffering. So, as Buddhists, you know, this is this is the thing we're, we're told we need to sort of like break that link somehow that between our feelings and our desires and their attachment to them. Somehow we need to break that and we need to separate that in some way. So, and by breaking our attachments, it's, it's okay, we don't attach to it. So, what does that actually mean then? What does it mean to not? attached to these things not what does it mean to not attach to these experiences that we're having does this actually mean that like oh okay well we i just i just i don't experience anything anymore do i lock myself in a room and i shut my eyes and i never experience anything does this mean everything that i have in the world i need to get rid of it or does this mean that i'm sort of indifferent or apathetic to to uh things that are happening in the world and so now we come to well what do we actually mean by non-attachment and again non-attachment in this sense it's it's not it's not this form of indifference it's not this form of you know apathy it's not this form of being uh, uh, cold and calculated and malicious and sort of cutting things off it's not this form of like pushing things away or ignoring things what it is what non-attachment actually is is again this quality which it's it's a particular kind of quality we're trying to develop in the mind and the quality we're talking about when we're talking about non-attachment or letting go is something that the buddha called upeka and upeka means you know equanimity uh, and so what upeka what equanimity is it's this kind of internal stability that you have in the mind it's this kind of it's a it's a spiritual quality that you develop whereby you know whatever sort of happens you're not perturbed by it any kind of you know any kind of anything happens in terms of the eight worldly conditions that i talked about a few weeks ago you know gain loss pray, praise blame honor dishonor uh, uh pleasure and pain anything any of those kinds of things comes to us you don't become perturbed by it there's this stability of the mind there's this the mind isn't pulled around by these things so upeka or equanimity is this stability that is in the mind and upeka it's it's a very very important concept in in buddhism it's it comes up in so many different places in the in the buddhist teachings uh the most common place that it comes up it's it's one of the uh, it's one of the four brahma viharas or the four sublime abidings most of you've probably heard of it it's you know you have metta karuna mudita upeka which is loving kindness uh compassion altruism and and equanimity 
And Opeka also comes up as, you know, the, you could say like the highest point of the seven factors of enlightenment. Once you develop all those qualities, mindfulness, you know, investigation of Dhamma, energy, tranquility, rapture, um, you know, calm, samadhi, once you develop those things, then the mind becomes equanimous and develops Opeka. Opeka also comes up in terms of the jhanas as well. It's the, you could say it's the, it's, it's, Upeka is is the quality of mind that you develop in the fourth jhana. So it's a very, it's this kind of stillness of mind. So, but if we are looking at Upeka in terms of just how we're sort of interacting in the world and going about the world, uh, and for the you know for the purpose of my talk now, uh, I'm not talking about Upeka in terms of developing the fourth jhana. It's you know don't have to quite get there at the moment. So you could you can develop Upeka without the you know a form of opeka without the fourth jhana so we'll just sort of table that for now what i'm more talking about with opeka in this uh in this context is more like the uh, what we're developing in terms of the brahma viharas and the seven factors of enlightenment so opeka this this is the kind opeka equanimity this is the quality we're trying to develop when we talk about letting go of our attachments this is Again, upeka, it's not, it's not indifference, it's not apathy, um, but it's, uh, and it's not this, this faculty whereby you sort of push everything away and you, you don't have anything, um, or you just sort of let go. It's upeka, equanimity, this is something that you develop. This is a quality that you develop, and it's also imbued with all these other states of the mind, loving kindness, compassion, altruism, uh, you know, mindfulness, all these kinds. It's, it's, it's imbued with all these other qualities as well. So upeka and letting go and non-attaching, it's not this unitary state. It's imbued with all these other things. So what then is that state like what what's what what is a mind like that is imbued with upeka and this is this is where some people sort of you know have a bit of a problem sort of understanding it or they get a bit mixed up again it's not indifference it's not apathy it's not it's not this kind of trying to ignore everything in the world but again it's this quality of mind where we accept things for whatever way that they are we accept things in the world for whatever sort of comes into us uh comes in in whatever we come in contact with we become equanimous to whatever we experience again it's not being able to let go and be equanimous, it's not this kind of that you're like trying to push things away or you're trying to get rid of anything, but you're learning to be with what is. Whatever you experience, you can just accept that for what it is. Whether it's good, bad, doesn't, you know, doesn't really matter. You, you just accept this thing for exactly what it is. So, if if we think about if we think about opeka in this way and this development of equanimity in this way this is this is really what we're trying to develop when we talk about non-attachment and you know this can you know 
uh, unfortunately, this can sort of go wrong a little bit. This can, uh, we can sometimes, we misunderstand it in some ways. Sometimes we think, you know, just letting go is like getting rid of anything. And and it's, you know, this, this is, can be quite, this can be quite sort of, this can really, really go the wrong way. Um, you And you've obviously sort of heard Buddhist teachers talking about, okay, you just need to let go of everything and you need to detach from everything. But sometimes we sort of grasp this the wrong way and we think, again, that we need, that we should be like getting rid of things. Developing this mindset in a more pathological sense, it's not really the right way of what you want to do. You don't want to develop... Letting go is just this kind of like knee-jerk reaction to every problem that comes up in the world. If there's some sort of problem, you don't just want to run on this sort of code of like, just let it go, just let it go, just let it go. There's sometimes there's problems in the world and there's things in the world, you know, that you need to actually face up. And there's times where maybe you say something and do things where you have to take responsibility for it. And you can't just, you know, you can't just sort of go, well, I'm just going to act in this particular kind of way. And just because I'm, you know, because I'm a Buddhist practitioner and I can just let everything go, that whatever I do, it doesn't matter. You know, the things that you do really, they really do matter. They, the way you treat people matters. The way you're interacting with people matters. This is, you know, just because you sort of develop this quality of, of just being able to let things go, it doesn't get you off the hook for being morally responsible for things. It doesn't get you off the hook for treating people in the wrong way. You still have to, we still live in the world with other people. We still have to care for them. We have responsibilities for them. We have to interact with them. We can't just, you know, treat people in a particular kind of way and then all of a sudden we go, well, I just let everything go and we use this as some kind of, you know, shield for our own kind of selfishness. You know, we, a lot of times we might use letting go as this, as this kind of, you know, we don't want to deal with the problem or we don't want to deal with this person or we don't want to deal with who they are or how they're acting or... So we throw up this kind of like shield and we don't do this out of wisdom, but we do this more out of just not wanting to engage and not wanting to interact. So being a good Dharma practitioner doesn't mean that you just always just let everything go. Uh, being a good Dharma practitioner means as well that you you're able to let things go, but and you're able to be equanimous, but you still have these other qualities of mind as well. You still have compassion. You still have uh, loving kindness towards others. You still have mindfulness. You still have these you know, tranquility, rapture, and all these kinds of things. You don't want to be the kind of Buddhist practitioner who looks good on the outside of like, I just let everything go. I let everything go. But you don't want to be look like a good Buddhist on the outside, but inside you just develop this sort of like, you know, pathological kind of emotional numbing to any response, you know, any kind of interactions that you have. This is this is not this is not the kind of uh, letting go you want to develop. But again, being able to let go with wisdom, being able to let go and be equanimous and have these other factors that are in the mind as well. This is more what you're trying to develop when we talk about letting go of your attachments. 
So now that we sort of have that like groundwork laid, we finally now get to the question of well, how do we live in the world with those that we love and that we care for and that we interact with, but still have this internal quality in the mind of, of non-attachment. And so we've seen that, you know, we have to be careful about what we're talking about when we talk about attachment. Are we talking about it in the terms of the, the modern understanding of it, or are we talking about it in terms of the Buddhist conceptualization of it? We've seen that when we're talking about attachment in terms of the Buddhist conceptualization, what we're meaning there is we want things to be a particular way. And the way that we overcome this uh, this attachment is through developing upeka, developing equanimity. And equanimity is that we can accept things for the way that they are. And so we see, we've, we can see that, you know, being able to be equanimous and let go of our attachments in this way, this is the right way. And this is not a unit, again, this isn't a unitary state. This isn't this kind of state of, I just let everything go. Non-attachment is imbued with these other states of the four Brahma-viharas and the seven factors of enlightenment. It's imbued with all these other states as well, and that we have to have these things. So when we think about those that we love and our family and all these kinds of things, and we talk, and we talk about letting go our attachments to them, this state of upeka is what we're talking about. This state of equanimity, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about where, from a Buddhist context, we're talking about trying to understanding it in the terms of accepting the people that are around us for exactly who they are. And we accept whatever situation that they find themselves in, whether that situation is good or whether that situation is bad. But then also for ourselves as well, we accept that this is the situation that we're in right now. These are the people that are around us right now. We accept this for what it is. Again, letting go, it's not about pushing things away. It's about accepting things for what they are. And this goes for the people around us. You know, Not attaching to things doesn't mean we get rid of everything. It means being able to accept what it is we find ourselves in, the situation we find ourselves in. And so because we've trying to develop this quality of upeka, of equanimity in the mind, again, it should have these qualities of the other qualities of the Brahma Viharas as well. The interactions that you have with the world and you have with the people around you, it's, it should have these qualities of loving kindness, compassion, and all these things around it as well. So... In essence, when you find yourself in the world with the people that you love, you should still be speaking and acting and behaving and interacting them, interacting with them in the same way that like you were actually attached to them. And again, attached in the more modern, the more common sense, because 
you know, to them, this is what matters. You know, being attached to people in the more modern sense, this actually really, really does matter. How you treat people matters. What you do with people matters. The things you do, the way you treat your family, the way you treat your friends, these things actually really do matter. You can't just be indifferent to these things. But again, you should be interacting with them in this way where you develop the other three factors of the Brahma Viharas along with having this inner quality of the mind of, of Upeka and being having this stability of mind and just accepting the people around you for who they are and whatever kind of situation you, that they find themselves in, whether that situation is good or bad, you just accept them for what, what it actually is. And you saw also you accept your role of what you are, uh, your role of the way that you're in the world with these people as well. So, to you know, just to, to sort of like summarize this whole thing, is that this is what we mean when we say not attaching to things. This is what we mean by letting go. This is what we mean by not attaching to those people that we love and those people that are around us. It's not about pushing these things away. It's about developing equanimity. It's about developing upeka. We've seen that you know sometimes you know some forms of attachment, like in the more modern sense, some of these are you know, quite actually, actually quite helpful. Uh, but what we're talking about when we're talking about non-attachment in the Buddhist sense is is that where attachment in the Buddhist sense means we want things to be a particular kind of way, and we and we suffer when they they're not the way that we want them to be. And the way we overcome this is by developing upeka. The way we overcome this is by developing equanimity. And equanimity, it's not this unitary construct, it's something that's sort of, that's uh, imbued with all these other qualities of the mind as well. And this is what we're actually trying to develop when we're interacting with people. And if we can interact with people in this way, we can still connect with them, we can still care for them, we're still responsible for them, we still, we still help them, we still, we do everything that we need to do with them, but within our minds, we have this underlying quality that we're you know stable and whatever happens to them we just we accept them for exactly who we who they are we have this kind of unconditional positive regard for them we have this kind of unconditional love for them we totally accept them for who they are in the present because the situation that you're in it just it can't be any other way the situation you find yourself in, it can't be any other way at all. So this is what we mean when we say we don't attach. It's not that we, again, it's not that we push them away, but that we just accept things for what they are. We accept people for who they are. We accept the kind of situation that they're in. So we don't develop non-attachment to get rid of things. We don't develop non-attachment to have nothing in the world. We develop this faculty of letting go so we can actually interact in the world and meaningfully just accept the things that are in the world. So, you know, maybe, maybe for now that's, you know, that's probably, that's probably enough for the moment. So hopefully, hopefully that's been, that's, uh, made a little bit more sense to the to the whole sort of mess that is letting go your attachment to the people that you love. Uh, yeah, hopefully it's been uh, uh, clarifying in some way. And, you know, if you have any questions now about it, I'm more than happy to answer any of them.
Thanks, Sajang. That was a really, really great talk. Okay, I cool. really appreciate that. I think a lot of brings a lot of clarity to um, us as we come into the practice, oh. um, the mistakes that we make there oh. around attachment. Um, we do have two questions from the YouTube audience. Um, and if anyone from the uh, Zoom session would like to ask a question, then please raise your um, hand on, on, um, on Zoom. Um, I do have a question. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you get you get priority. That's you right. have the, you in, have I'm the microphone. The you have you have the, the power. <laughs> um, do you think? Um, I mean, for most of us who come, so certainly me, when you came into the Dhamma, you mm. come in with some level of suffering, mm. and and straight away this this thing about attachment and mm. letting go is like a very appealing thing. Yep. And and do you, do you think that some and and you. I'm getting a bit confused here. So what I'm trying to say here is that we we start practicing letting go, mm. and we make a lot of errors in there. Yeah, a lot of mistakes, yeah. pretty unskillful things yeah. that we we do from that attachment, from yeah. trying to let go, and in some cases we use brute willpower, and mm. you get almost this rebound, and yeah. craving starts developing as yeah. well. Yeah. But do you do you think that? That's kind of a process that we need to go through to learn what attachment really is and getting towards what you were calling like the yupeka. Mm. So until, you, until you've gone through that, you, yeah. you, you really can't get there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, that, that, that also goes for every other like, facet of the Buddhist teachings as well. There's so many aspects there that we... That we we try to do and we make mistakes with them and that's you know that is a part of the process um but it's also it's also good to have you know try to get some kind of clarity around it as well i try to get some kind of uh understanding around it like you you do have to make mistakes when you first start to learn to let go but unfortunately the the kinds of mistakes you uh, make when you uh, like learn to let go can be interpersonally very problematic. If you make mistakes around loving kindness, all all that just happens is, is you just being you end up being like overly nice and that sort of like oh you're just you're, you're too nice kind of thing or you're you're just sort of those perennially happy people that are just very very annoying kind of thing. So if you get those kinds of things wrong, it's not so bad. But when we have that, when we get letting go wrong this can actually <clears throat> this can actually develop we can develop bad habits because of that um, so trying to get some clarity around that is a good thing as i said as i said in the talk if we if we just take this kind of letting go as this kind of knee-jerk reaction to every problem in the world we end up you know, we end up just sort of like using it as this sort of like catch-all kind of cure to every problem and we think it's this kind of panacea for everything. And that in itself can be, you know, if you develop that then, you know, when you start to interact with people, you can start to become indifferent. You can start to go, oh, I don't care, I just, I let them go. I, say, I, let, I let go, I let go. So... Yeah, you do have to make mistakes with it, hundred percent, and you do. And you know, even you know, I've been doing this a while now. I still make mistakes with it. I, you know, I just I just talked about it for half an hour or whatever it is. It doesn't mean I actually you know, get it fully. I still make mistakes with it. 
um, and any 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 Dhamma practitioner will make mistakes with it. But it's something that we just have to keep, uh, you know, keep trying to understand in greater and greater clarity. Because, you know, and, and the reason the reason I started the talk by saying it's it's a hard thing to wrap your head around it is because is because you know none of us none of us really get it. Yeah, you know, in all honesty, none of us really get it. If we did get it, we'd be enlightened. And you know, I I can't speak for anybody else, but I you know I'm I'm not enlightened. So it's like if I really got it, if I fully one thousand percent understood it, I'd be enlightened, and I'm not. So at some level, I don't get it either. So I think all of us in the practice, at some level, we don't get it, but we just have to keep trying to understand it in that in that more clearer way and not just take it as this unitary construct where we just um, you know, we just let things go but it's you know there's there's other things there as well that we need to develop as well but yeah we make mistakes with it and it, hopefully the last thing i say about that is hopefully if you do make mistakes with it you have the wisdom and the compunction to realize that you've made the mistake because sometimes we make the mistake with it and we don't realize that we're making the mistake and it develops into a habit and that's not a good thing. So hopefully we just have, hopefully we can see that we've made the mistake and um, we can sort of rectify that. Mm. Thank you, Ajahn. Mm. Uh, there's um, two questions here from um, um, from Zoom. I'm, I'm asking yep. this one on behalf of uh, Katrina who's, she says she's on her first first Buddhist talk, so um, um, she's just punched the question into the lo into the chat. Yep. So the question is: If you detach from positive emotions mm. such as happiness, mm. is the happiness sustainable? There's. It depends what you mean by happiness as well. Um, if you mean if you mean the kind of happiness that you get from some kind of joy in the world of, you know, like you, you know, I don't know, you pat a puppy or something, you pat a Labrador or something, it's like, ah, oh, I'm happy, this is, this is sort of great. If you, uh, if you attach to that, and again, happiness in this sense, if we're thinking about it in terms of what I was talking about before, tanha and upadana, the happiness is if you, if you, you have this kind of uh, desire for the happiness to always be that way. It's like, I always want to be as happy as I am when I'm patting a Labrador puppy. I, I want I want my life to be that way all the time. Obviously, nobody really thinks like that, but you know, this is just the example. If we, if we have these kinds of positive emotions of happiness like that and we want things to, want it to remain this way, and this is how... We think, okay, my life should be like this, or I, or I should always be having these kinds of happiness. Then, when we don't have those happiness, those kinds of feelings of happiness, this is when we suffer. So, but if you have happiness and joy and all these kinds of things arise in the mind, but you accept them for what they are, again, they're 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 states of mind that have they've arisen and they're here in the present, and this just at the moment this positive feeling of happiness is here and this is just the way it is right now and but if you can also accept that this will pass you know the happiness that i'm having now at some point it will pass but at the moment i'm happy and that's fine 
what this brings about is if you can have that understanding, a different kind of happiness arises. It's and it you could say it's it's the the happiness from something from being content with the state of the world and what it is. So again, depends what you mean exactly by by happiness, but having these kinds of positive emotions, if you can learn to if you can learn to not attach to them, again be equanimous with them. This brings about this sense of contentment and stability, and you know th that these things are actually happening. But it's it's okay if it's if it's there, it's fine. That's how it is. If it's not there, you know that's that's fine as well. So hopefully, hopefully that answers the question. Thank you, Ajahn. Mm. Uh, there's nothing back from uh, Katrina. I just that's asked fine. her whether yeah. she's whether she needs to clarify that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got Ignacio. Would you like to um, unmute yourself? You've got a question there. Yep. Um, thank you for the talk, John. No, no problem. Nice to see you again. <laughs> yeah. Haven't seen you in a while. Ah, uh, yeah. I've yeah. uh, usually been lurking in YouTube, but thought oh, I'd probably... fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lurking's good. <laughs> yep. Um, so I guess my question is kind of related to the the first one. Um, so sometimes during life and meditation, I see sort of this craving pop up to have you know more peace or you know go deeper and stuff and i'm like all right i see that that's not the right way to go about it so i'm just gonna accept it or mm. you know, let it go as you say mm. um but then i find that you know at some subconscious level there's more frustration that kind of builds up yeah. and i'm like you know what let's just accept that but you know sometimes it sort of spirals down yeah. into you know, more frustration and more frustration and i guess my question is do I kind of just keep accepting, accepting until, you know, maybe I, I get it or should I attack this from, you know, some sort of different, different angle? Yeah. The, like the short answer is, is, is in a way you sort of have to do both. Like you do, there's, there's, there's aspects there where you just have to, like if things are bad and it's like spiraling out of, and it's just everything's terrible kind of thing. And it's like, I'm not having any peace at some level. Yeah. You do just have to accept it. Then, well, this is the way. This is the way the mind is. You know, it's, at the moment, it's not peaceful, but it won't always be like this. It can't always be like this. You know, you, in, in that way, you have to accept it. But again, not developing this acceptance, this kind of letting go as a form of apathy of just, like, I don't care. I'm just, you know, my mind's just a mess, but it's like, I'm not going to do anything about it. So you still have to put in the right kind of causes to, you know, move towards that more you could say that more positive end of the spectrum you know you still have to continue to try to like sustain your meditation you still have to try to develop wholesome qualities in the mind you still have to you know you know attempt to you know every day get you know back on the cushion kind of thing and 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 just keep at it and because it's through <laughs> you really develop the capacity to let go of things through developing all these other qualities as well developing all these good qualities in the mind that's that's how you really develop equanimity that's how you really develop letting go so again it's not just this kind of i just accept things i accept things i accept it accept it like you know you're actually instead of throwing things away you're actually developing a lot of things as well so again yeah you have to accept how things are but then you also do have to 
you know you do have to sort of develop develop uh, these other wholesome qualities as well. It's like you know, if you uh, uh, it's like if you're overweight, like I, I, I'm overweight kind of thing, and it's like okay, well, okay, I can I can I can just sort of accept that I'm overweight. It's like okay, well, I'm I, like I'm not gonna have like a rock and bod or anything like that. It's, you know, this that's not happening for me. Like, but but that doesn't mean I just continue to you know eat cake and 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 and, and sleep all day and all these kinds of things. It's like I have to do some things to keep myself reasonably healthy as well. So it's the same with your meditation. You just sort of have to accept that, okay, at times, mine's not so great, not so peaceful. You know, that's fine, but I do have to do something to try to change that. And I have to, that will take me, uh, uh, like might take a while to actually do. So again, yeah, you need sort of, you really do need both. You need the acceptance, but then also being able to go, well, I'm going to still continue to try to do something about it. Yep. So kind of like acceptance, but at the right times kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was sort of saying it's like, don't just rely on this this idea of letting go to fix everything. It's it's not always the right thing to do. Like some, Like sometimes, yeah, it's really right to just go, okay, well, I just let this thing go. Other times it's not the right thing to do. Other other times you do need to, you know, you know, actually fix a problem or something. You know, and if if the problem is the you know, overtly negative mind states, you know, just accepting them and accepting it, it's it's not going to make them go away. You got to <laughs> try to actually do something about it. So yeah, you need both. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Ajahn. Mm. Okay, we've got six questions from the YouTube audience. Cool. Uh, so the first one here is, how do we practice detachment from our body? Yeah, it's it's that's you know the mind's the mind's the hardest one, but the body is the you'd say that's the second hardest one. It's it's the thing that you're always with, and it's it's uh it's the thing that you know it causes causes you a lot of lot of suffering. Uh, especially the older you get, the sicker you get. The you know the the harder it is to detach from the actual the sickness of the body. So. The way we start to develop this detachment to the body is actually the same way. The same way that we uh, that we don't attach to other things. You know, again, we just sort of have to accept it for the way it is right at this period of time. You know, you can't you can't change you can't change your body. Um, you can't you can, uh, you know. I, I'd love my body to go back to being like when was I strong? Like when I was like 18 or something and I was strong and I had so much energy and I could like, didn't have to sleep so much and I could like, you know, fall off chairs and stuff and I didn't get hurt and it was great. Um, but my body is not going to go back to that now. There's just no way that it will. So having this acceptance that this is just the way the body is right now in this moment that there's it can't that it that it it just it can't be any other way like no matter how much you wish for it to be a different way that it, it will not be this way if you have some kind of sickness in the body you can't just wish that sickness away 
you know, you obviously there's things you can do about it. You can take medicine and rest and all these kinds of things. But the sickness that you maybe have in the body at that time, it just is that way. You can't, again, you can't wish it away. You can't sort of like, you know, tell it to leave your body and it will leave your body. It's, it's just not going to work like that. So we work constantly with accepting uh, the state of who we are in any one moment. And that extends uh, not only from our body, but also extends to our mind as well. Whatever state the mind's in, we just sort of ex- we can sort of accept that for what that is. Um, the body, it's you know, it's it's getting older, it's getting sicker, it's getting weaker. We accept that for what it is. But again, does that mean we just become apathetic and just okay? Well, I'm sick. I you know, I'm fine. I have uh, you know, I have I have cancer or whatever it is i'm just not going to do anything about it or i'm my mind is overrun with like anger and anger and negativity and fine i'm just not going to do anything about it no obviously we we have to you know we have to look after these things if the body is sick if the body is sick in some way you take medication you go see the doctor you you know you get enough rest you do the things that you need to do to 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 sustain it and to keep it and to keep it going and to keep it functioning well uh, likewise, with the mind, you know, we we're overrun by negativity. We try to like change these different sort of habits of the mind. Uh, so, it, accepting the way the body is it, it, again requires a constant a constant vigilance and a constant kind of development of wisdom as well of of seeing the body for exactly how it is and just knowing that you can't change it. And doing also as well, doing some of these practices that are that are recommended in Buddhism, where we where we 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 wisely recollect about the uh, 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 the inherent impermanent nature of the body, and that the body is not something that's like under our control. That it is that it is anatta. That it is not self. That you know constantly contemplating that the body will change it will get old it will get sick and eventually it's going to pass away and that we can't you know that we you know we can't control that we can't do anything about it so if we take on these practices as well this actually this actually uh, uh helps us accept the body for what it is it doesn't and in saying all this as well it doesn't mean that you don't suffer anymore like the body it still hurts like it still hurts it still gets sick it's you know it's not because not that now that you can sort of just accept things for the way they are it just makes it like you know, everything's fine it's like the body still you know it still hurts but the so you still have the pain in the body but the the you could say the the added psychological suffering that's added on top of that it won't be as intense anymore but the the pain of the body's still there so thank you ajahn uh, next question here from youtube is uh, can anyone practice samatha breath meditation or does meditation need to be tailored according to the person can anybody practice samatha breath meditation or does the meditation need to be tailored according to the person? Um, samatha, like the breath meditation, it's a, the reason that it's emphasized so much is because it's probably the most generalizable meditation object out there. Obviously, everybody has the breath. Um, everybody has to breathe. Um, everybody, you know, this is, and this is something that is quite 
neutral. It doesn't matter what your sort of doesn't matter what your uh, your beliefs are. Doesn't matter what your ideals are. Doesn't matter what sort of religion you are. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. Everybody has the breath. So this is something that every all of us can identify with, and something that we can anchor our attention to. So this is why most people that learn meditation, when they start learning meditation, they'll everyone will just sort of teach the breath at the start because it is this good sort of very very general thing that you can you know teach people and they and teaching samatha and watching the breath it starts to give you the ability to realize that okay what you're trying to do in meditation is keep your attention on an object now because the object of the breath is very neutral it's very general um Anybody can do that. Okay, I have to put my mind on this object. If you were to say to to somebody, okay, you have to to meditate. You know, think of an image of the Buddha and think of a bring up an image of the Buddha in your mind. Like not everyone, not everyone can do that. Two, you know, not everybody wants to do to do that. People have different belief systems and things like that. So, uh, you know, using those kinds of objects as starting points of meditation, it's then. You know, not so useful but if you say to people just watch your breath you know anybody can do that and so from doing that they'll the the person will learn okay i need to put my attention on this thing and it just happens to be the breath now to the so yeah anybody can practice samatha and observing the breath that's you know that's why it's there now does meditation have to be tailored to the individual well this is this is the point where actually yeah well maybe some people try to watch the breath and it's not really an object that can hold their focus um this isn't something that sort of really sits well with them so maybe they have to try to do some like a, a you know Put their mind on a different object. Maybe they have to look at the sen- um, observe the sensations in the body. Maybe they find it easier to listen to the sounds in the room. Maybe they find it, you know, maybe they find it easier to repeat a mantra or something in their mind. <clears throat> maybe they find it better to do loving kindness or something like that. So, for meditation to be tailored, you know, it really does. It depends on the individual, like. For you yourself, you have to, in a way, you have to try some different, you know, different kinds of meditation, and you just have to see what works for you. If you try a different kind of meditation and, and starts to make the mind calm and there's some clarity there, this is good. This is an object that like works for you. If you try a particular object of meditation and it maybe brings up sort of some kind of you know like sort of anxiety or something like that or if you if you find like closing your eyes and watching the breath brings up this kind of sense of claustrophobia or something like that then then maybe the breath isn't the right kind of thing for you to be doing but it is it is a bit of you could say you know at definitely at the start it is a bit of trial and error and everyone does people will gravitate to different kinds of meditations and different kinds of meditations will work better for some people more uh, better for some people and not as well for others so if you are just starting and you do are looking at different kinds it's it's in a way it's it's like it's like finding out what kind of food you like or what kind of food works best for your physical body 
you know, you might, you might go to, you know, might try all these different, you might try one kind of food. It's like, okay, this is, this is good. This is, this is something that I like. This is something that I enjoy. I can, I can, I can eat this. I can eat this. And this is, this is good for me. This sits well with me. You try a different kind of food. It's like, ah, I hate the taste of that. That's terrible. But it's like, uh, yeah. But so you don't, you don't eat it anymore. But, you know, keeping with the food, I guess, keeping with the food analogy, like sometimes there are foods that you don't like that are good for you. And then you, okay, well, this is, okay, let's just say salad. And it's like, oh, salad, it's not that good. It's, you know, it doesn't taste that good. It's, you know, a cake, you know, a chocolate cake tastes much better. It's like a salad, a salad, okay, I, if I keep eating salads, this is good. I actually stay healthy and I stay, you know, I can function, my, my body actually ends up functioning well on this thing. So actually I, I should try to eat more salads. Um, uh, but, you know, with a cake or whatever, it's like you can't just eat cake all the time. It's, you know, it's not going to be good. So trying to pull that back to <laughs> the analogy, back to meditation, I just sort of went on a tangent there, sorry. Um, uh, so say, for example, something like the breath, something like the breath, you mightn't think it's good. You mightn't think it's like, oh, this isn't something that, that is, is useful for me. And that's, you know, that's fine. But, a bre- you know, the breath is like the salad, you could say. It's like, well, well, this is, you know, maybe it mightn't be the greatest thing for you, but this is like a staple that will keep you, like, functioning healthy and well. And so the breath is is always something that we can come back to as a staple. If you want to try these other different kinds of meditation, you know, that's fine, but the breath is it's a good staple one. So... In saying all that, yeah, you do, you do have to do have to try different things. Different things will work for different people, um, but yeah, the breath it's just a it's just a good common thing. You know, not many people are you know allergic to salads, so you know the breath is like that. You know, not many people are allergic to the breath, so some are. Thank you, Ajahn. I think you might have covered this off in one of the other responses, but yep. um, I'll ask it. Uh, do you think that? Um, Sorry. Do you think that a part of a pekka is having no expectation? My common mistake is trying to practice a pekka to improve situations. Then I notice that things as they are. Then I notice that things are as they are. For example, I cannot cure my old parents' confused mind. Yeah, sure. Um, do you think that a part of a pekka is having no expectation? My common mistake is trying to practice a pekka to improve situations. Then I notice that things are as they are. Mm. For example, I cannot cure my old parents' confused mind. Yeah, yeah. Like it's hard. It's hard not to have expectations about something because... Yeah, this is this is sort of part of living in life. You know, we put in particular kinds of causes, and we expect uh, a certain kind of thing to happen from that. So, in some sense, we're like like hardwired to have have expectations. Um, and the way we function, the way we function well is if we, you know, say for example, we want to do a practice like meditation because we expect that there'll be you know wholesome, positive mind states that come out of it. So we expect those things. So in some, in some respect, you do need like kind of expectations there as well. Um, but the development of upeka, it's, 
it's sort of realizing that your expectations won't always come out the way that you want them to. Um, you can you can still have these expectations, and expectations are still there. But you know, the when we talk, again when we talk about upadana, we're wanting something to be a particular way that it's not. And so the quality that we're trying to develop is upeka and of, of accepting these things. So if we have these expectations, what we're doing there is we're wanting it to be a particular kind of way. But truly developing equanimity is understanding that things will be one way, but they can also be another way. And in essence, we sort of ride whether it turns out good or whether it turns out bad. This doesn't really, you know, it's not to say that it doesn't matter, but it's, it's it, how would you say, it doesn't weigh on you as much. So it's quite normal that you have expectations in particular kinds of ways. And, and like, and say for especially with you have, if you have somebody that's aged and they have, uh, you know, some kind of you know, you know, memory issues and things like that, this is, it's, it's, it's so hard to change that, that, you know, that expectation that you want them to be a particular kind of way. You know, want, you want them to get back to the way that they, that they were and that they, they, they like remember many things and they're, you know, they they can, they, they, they can function well and I'm not sure how far along they're sort of progressed with the, with the, with the, with the memory issues, with the dementia and things like this. But, you know, it's, it's really hard not to have that kind of expectation or, I, you know, I want them back the way they were. Um, but again, you know, we we really do just have to develop equanimity and say, well, you know, this is just the way they are. And again, we we you know we're we're interrelated to our parents in the world, and you know, we have to care for them. We have to be responsible for them. Again, we have to have these qualities of loving kindness, compassion, and altruism towards them. You need. Upeka, again, it, it's not just about accepting everything for what it is. It has to have these other qualities as well. It has to have loving kindness there. It has to have compassion built in as well. It has to have this altruistic joy for when when others do things good and you, you, can, you, you derive joy from that. So, again, Upeka, it's not just a unitary state. It has these other qualities in there. So... Yeah, you're going to have expectations about them. That's you know that that's fine, and try to be equanimous with that as much as you can. But again, as well, you know the the parents that you've got around you. You know you have to be kind. You have to be careful. You have to care for them. You have to have, be responsible for them. And that's that's sort of a part of. It. But then also, yeah, accept the situation for what it is. You know the 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 kind of memory issues. They're not you know they're not going to change. It's um you you can't just you know magically get them back to the way that they were it's just again it's just not going to work like that so so accepting those kinds of things that's 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 really what you should be trying to trying to do hopefully that answers the question thank you ajahn uh, look there's one question here relating to um when we do our next live streams i'll just cover that off quickly here while yeah, instead yeah, of sure, having sure. to type it in and we the bsv we run uh uh, two teachings a week. Uh, one's a Dhamma talk on a Sunday morning, Melbourne time, and another one which is a guided meditation uh, at 7.30pm uh, on Monday night. So 
you're welcome to join those that they're live streamed on YouTube on exactly the same channel. Okay. Uh, so the next question here is, um, yeah, any tips to develop healthy interpersonal relationships? Carlos. Yeah, it, it's a hard one because it depends on the person, <laughs> depends on the kind of relationship that you have with people. Um, but yeah, at, at any at any sort of like base level, if you're looking at it from like a Buddhist perspective, you know the <clears throat> the best thing to develop around any kind of interpersonal relationships is actually developing the Brahma Viharas with people. You know, you have you have metta. Karuna, uh, Murita, uh, and Upeka with with people. So you have uh, you have loving kindness towards them in whatever they do. You have this kind of unconditional positive regard, this kind of unconditional love for them. You have compassion for them that when they do fall on, under any kind of hardship, uh, that you know you you have this kind of sympathy and compassion for them. Anything good that happens to them, you can rejoice. You can rejoice in that. You're not sort of jealous and, you know, you know it's like oh, something good happened and then, oh, that, uh, I, w I wish that was me kind of thing. You don't want to, you know, you know that's, that's, that's sort of the antithesis of, of, of mudita. And again, uh, developing upeka with them, upeka with them. So it's, if you if you can develop if you can develop the Brahma Viharas with people like that's you know that's that's really the thing that that will you know hopefully go uh, allow for the most smoothest kinds of uh, interpersonal relationship that you can possibly have because because if you you know if if you don't have these qualities if you don't have these qualities with people it's yeah, then you are just sort of more operating on you know the whims of how they respond to you or how they act towards you. If you're if you're sort of if they if they're kind to you, then you're kind back to them. You know that's a that's this kind of in a way your behavior is determined by their behavior, and their behavior is not always something. It's just it's just not it's just not something that you can control. <clears throat> But if you're coming from the standpoint of however they behave or however they act or however they or however they are, if you can have the Brahma Viharas for them, you can have uh, loving kindness towards them. And again, you can have equanimity towards them and just accepting them for who they are and then but then also being you know, having loving kindness for them and compassion, then it doesn't matter how they relate to you they might they might just be ingrateful they might be you know like they might be ingrateful they might be you know, non-appreciative they might be or you know they 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 might be appreciative and maybe they just don't know how to show it properly um or you know they uh, yeah or they could be responding in a good way but so their responses to you in a way don't matter as much it's it's more about you trying to develop those qualities of the mind and if you do develop them you know you, you know 90 95% of the time it's going to work out better for you um if you develop the brahma viharas in any kind of relationship that you have you know 5% of the time people are you know people are just 
they're not going to be nice. They're not going to, they're, they're, you know, they're going to be ungrateful, all those kinds of things. But, you know, that's, you know, 5% compared to the 95% of the times, the more positive sort of inter, interpersonal relationships you do have with people because of the Brahma Viharas, that's going to totally outweigh it. it. You know, it doesn't, you know, the way, the way people treat you, some, uh, you know, it won't really matter as much because you've developed all these other, uh, you know, really great qualities, uh, I think I think I gave the example a couple of weeks ago. It's like if you like like walk walk down the street and you know you see a hundred people walking past and you go, "Hey, how are you?" Most people are going, "Hey, how are you? Good, 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 good." There's going to be like five people that just like look at you like a weirdo and like or ignore you and just sort of like, but you know, it doesn't matter. Like you've got you've had ninety five people said like hello to you and said and be be nice to you. So those five people, you just doesn't doesn't really matter again so you setting up your mind with the brahma viharas in your relationships with people is a more powerful thing than merely just responding to the way that they're behaving towards you thank you ajan uh, we've got three questions mm. remaining a yep. couple of additional ones have come in yep um so is attachment physically okay, but mentally giving up the better? Sorry, let me read that again. Is the attachment physically okay, but mentally giving up the better? Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> again, um, if we speak about attachment from this more, from this you know, the, like the modern understanding of it, the common, you know, the common interpretation of it, the common English language interpretation of attachment to to people and those around us. Then, yeah, then then this is fine. You know, the kind of the kind of uh, interconnection, interconnectedness, this kind of unity, the harmony, the uh, kind of care and compassion that you have for other people, and being attached to them in that way. You know, that's you know that's. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, there's, again, this is helpful. This is very, very functional. But it, it is developing this quality of mind uh, around your relationships with them that you have, you have equanimity in the mind in that you, know, you totally accept them for what they are. So, yeah, you, you, still, you still should act with people like you're attached to them. You know how you behave in the world, and how you speak in the world, and how you interact with people. You should act like you're attached to them, because you know that's what matters. That's what matters for them. So those kinds of things are okay. But again, the mind, the the mind state behind that is very, very different. The mind state of equanimity is different in that there's this stability there. There's this, you know, there's this underlying sort of freedom in the mind that, however they'll interact with you, that you know that doesn't doesn't really matter so much, and you can just accept them for however they are. So yeah, it's 
you could say and it's an internal mind like it's a, it's more of an internal state it's not a, again it's not about the object that's outside the objects that are outside yeah you have to look after it you have to care for it you have to be compassionate to it you have to uh, 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 you know be responsible for it you have to you know physically you have to help people like a, a child a child that's like trying to like get some food you have to pick the thing up and like like let it like grab something to eat you can't just be economist and go yeah, he'll work it out. Like it's you can pick the thing up and like give it something to eat. So again, your speech and your actions should appear like you're attached to people in the world, but the mind is something different. The mind, the mind should have this sense of equanimity to it. Thanks, Sajang. We've had a couple of additional questions come in, mm -hmm. and we've only got about about five minutes remaining. Yep. Um, this question here is: My sister is quite ill, and I find myself trying to control things. Any ideas on detaching in a good way, mm -hmm. and even recognizing when I'm going down that rabbit hole of control? Mm. Many thanks. Mm. You know, at some level as well, like the the compassion that you have for your sister, you know, this this is a good thing. This is this is something that you this is something that you should think about in your own mind of, of that, you know, actually having this compassion, having this care for this person, this is a good quality that you actually have. So um you could say, yeah, rejoicing in that, that you do have this compassion for your sister and you do have this care for her, that this is a good thing. And that, yeah, you know, but unfortunately this compassion at times can turn into wanting to like control and fix everything. So, yeah, and it's just sort of like a, it's a, it's, it's sort of like a bug in the system kind of thing of compassion that, you know, it can turn into that wanting to try to, you know, wanting to try to, because you care for someone so much, you want to try to fix everything. And so you, in a way, you have to like forgive yourself for that of, of you know, by default, because of your compassion, you fall into trying to control, you know, just try to forgive yourself, try to be patient with yourself, try to, try to realize that this is just, this is a, this is a part of being a compassionate and this is a part of being helpful and if you can just try to develop some some mindfulness around it when you do feel like you know you've you've the, the scales have tipped too much in terms of 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 trying to control everything again just try to balance balance that out a little bit more balance that out of just trying to again trying to have com, the actual compassion for the person but then also have the equanimity there as well um you know, just be and be patient with yourself you know if you're if you're if you have a family member that's sick it's you know it's 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 tough it's difficult it's like of course you know of course you want them to get better it's like it, that's you know, yeah everyone every every sort of decent human being with some kind of level of compunction you know will have that desire for this person to get better so it's you know there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that with that desire to have that for them but 
again, you just have to be patient. You have to, you know, forgive yourself when you do sort of like, you know, the, 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 the sort of the script of compassion that's sort of running, it sort of goes into that kind of, you know, it, wanting to sort of control the situation. You know, just be, try to be kind to yourself. Um, uh, try to, you know, uh, try to just be patient and realize that that's the way it is. And, you know, treat your, in a way, like, treat yourself the way that you're trying to treat your sister. You're trying to treat your sister with as much compassion as possible and you're trying to help her as much as possible and you as well. You have to treat yourself in that way. You have to be kind to yourself and treat yourself with as much help as possible. So, yeah. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, the next question here is, um, after establishing silent present moment awareness and moving to the breath, mm. I always fall asleep, mm. even after a good sleep. Yep. Is this purely a lapse of mindfulness? If you're like literally falling asleep every time, yes, it is. <laughs> it's yeah, un undoubtedly it is. <laughs> so, but it, that that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Uh, uh, all it all it means is that you're you potentially just haven't trained yourself uh, quite adequately yet. You like you're half like you're halfway there. So what's likely happening is is you're, say for example, you're watching the breath, the mind's starting to become calm. It's starting to become calm. And if we, once we've trained our mindfulness well, the mind gets down to this level of calm. And if you keep mindful, then the mind will drop into like a state of calm. And there's a, this state of calm is very alert. It's awake. But what happens at this, in, like you could say, like this inflection point is if you still haven't trained your mindfulness enough yet, you get calm and then what will happen just just by force of habit when the mind's like that you just sort of fall into sleep so you're on the right track don't you know don't feel bad don't feel bad about yourself but yeah it is it is a lack of mindfulness so all you have to do is you just have to like when you start to feel like you're starting to get calm you know instead of just sort of how to say instead of just sort of like riding, riding with it, just go, okay, well, the mind's starting to become calm now. Become a little bit more vigilant of the breath. Keep, try to, try to, in a, in a way, sort of, uh, you know, awaken your attention up uh, a little bit more. Um, and if it is like a really, it is happening like all the time, maybe, you know, you do need to like do outwardly physical things to, to, <clears throat> To change that, maybe you're starting to slump over. So straighten up, or even to the point you might need to get up. Um, just break the point I'm trying to get at. Break that habit because if you continue to fall into that habit, it'll happen all the time. And you're just every time you sit, you just fall asleep, fall asleep. So in essence, try to break that habit as much as possible. But you're on the right track, so don't don't feel discouraged. Thank you, Ajahn. We've clicked over 10.30. There's okay. one more question. Are you... Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah why not? Yep. Great. After the Buddha's enlightenment, was he in a permanent state of loving kindness and compassion, sympathetic joy, and most importantly, in equanimity? I can't exactly speak for the Buddha. Like it's... <laughs> but my understanding would be... Uh, Yes, like, but again, like, uh, 
you know, imbued with those qualities. Um, if one's mind is free from all attachments, then you could say, you could say, you know, by default, these 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 different kinds of qualities become become like the kind of operating system that you have because there's no there's no you could say there's no avarice, there's no jealousy, there's no you know uh, you know uh, uh, wanting the world to be a particular kind of way. So once that all drops away, then there is these you know more positive qualities that just sort of arise in their place. So there's you know I you know I you know I I you know, I, I don't I don't understand exactly what the fully enlightened mind state is because I you know I'm not enlightened so um, you know I I can't exactly say for the Buddha what what that is but um, for all intents and purposes I you know there you know the stronger one's mind becomes uh, the more clear one's mind becomes, the more you are able to let go of greed, hatred, and delusion in the mind. You just start to notice that more of those qualities of the Brahma Viharas, they just they start to come up in their place. So, you know, I'm you know sort of like I don't know, uh, uh, like a like a, a a tiny little sort of like ant somewhere, and the Buddha's like this like huge mammoth of a like massive building kind of thing so if that's for me in my own practice if that's happening for me at this like minimal level like i'm sure i'm sure like the buddha the buddha's loving kindness compassion uh altruism and equanimity were much much better much and much greater and sort of more imbued with those things so yeah hopefully that under uh, that explains it so thank you ajahn and there's uh, no further questions. Cool, cool. Okay. Well, with that, my my clock is totally wrong, by the way. So I I was I was like a half an hour out. So <laughs> so okay, very good. So I'd like to you know thank you all for 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 tuning in again on the thirtieth. Was it on the thirtieth? Uh, that's right. The uh, the virtu the virtual. Um, uh, uh, community update yep. on the um, on the building project happening at Newbury, mm -hmm. and then also the seventh of uh, November, which is the um, uh, the robe offering yep. virtual. Okay, you're more than welcome to join into any of them. And so, again, thank you all for coming. Hopefully, it's been helpful. Hopefully, it's been useful for you all. And uh, I'll wish you all the best in the Dhamma. Thank you, Ajahn. And for those who are tuned in on YouTube, you're welcome on uh, on Zoom. You're welcome to stay on for a little bit longer.